please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 27. For those of you who are new with us, we're continuing a series that we've been going through on the lives of Isaac and Jacob, which continues a series that was started in the life of Abraham. And this morning we come to the final episode that Moses, the author of Genesis, records of Isaac's life. And this episode is going to detail for us how the blessing of Abraham went from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob. So it's a vital passage for us to understand. Now this passage, as we'll see, is a very interesting story. And it can be quite difficult to navigate through. Because as we will see, it's filled with sin from every character. But at the same time, we also see God accomplishing his purposes alongside of sin. And then to make matters just a little bit more difficult, Hebrews 11.20 points to this as an example of Isaac's faith by saying, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. So I think our passage presents two questions that we need to answer. How should we understand God's providence working through sin? And where do we see Isaac's faith that we should imitate? And we'll see how difficult those questions can be as we continue to walk through this text. To help us answer these questions, I want to use one of the most helpful methods I've found in studying narrative passages in Scripture. We did this a little bit in the home groups over the summer. And it is to follow what is called a story arc. If you're a literature major or anything in here, you probably know some of this. I've kind of made it a little bit of my own. But a story arc in its basic form carefully follows the plot of a story by identifying five major sections. The conflict and problem, the rising tension, the climax, the resolution, and the following action. And when we do this, we see that the problem, the climax, and the resolution show the main point or points of the story. The rising tension is going to show the significance of the problem, and the following action is going to help us fully understand the resolution. So let's follow this method to work our way through this passage so I can show you how to do this. First, identifying the conflict or the problem in the story. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. The story opens purposefully on the physical condition of Isaac. Notice how Moses sets the stage by pointing to Isaac's frailty. 
What we see here is a man who's not seen clearly and who's acting in weakness. He's afraid of death. So then we begin to see the problem unfold in this story in verses 2 through 4. Isaac called Esau, his older son, to him, and then he sends him out to make his favorite meal so that he may bless Esau before he dies. And the language here shows a passionate desire to bless the one he loves. Now maybe you're thinking, if you've been with us walking through Genesis, how can he possibly desire to bless Esau after everything he has done? I hope you are thinking that. Because I think if you are, that's Moses' goal. Think about how Moses has arranged these chapters of Isaac's life. Start back in chapter 25, verse 19, and pay attention to how Moses moves us through Isaac's life rather rapidly. First, notice the clear promise given to Rebekah in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your room, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. Now pay particular point to this. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now undoubtedly, Rebecca told Isaac this promise. It's not something you would keep from your husband. Then, almost immediately after this, the boys are grown. And we're given the story of how Esau despised his birthright by trading it for a bowl of lentil soup. You see how quickly that happened in the narrative. I don't know, but 20 years maybe gone by, something like that? What happened during that 20 years? We don't know. We don't need to know, is what Moses is saying. But what we do know is Esau isn't looking very good right now. Then, finally... If you remember last week's sermon, at the end of chapter 26, we're given a strange footnote of how Esau takes two wives from the Hittites. And did you notice what it says in verse 35? And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now keep going as though there's no chapter. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau. Do you see how Moses has arranged this in such a way that we're supposed to be shocked that he's calling Esau to give him the blessing? Esau? Really? The one that's older, so he's going against God's word, The one who despised his birthright and sold it for a measly pot of stew. The one who's made his life bitter? So we have to ask, why? Why would he call Esau? Well, did you notice what his request of Esau was? Look at verse 3. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow... Go out into the field and hunt game for me. Here we go. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. 
You see, this points back to Genesis 25, 28, where we read, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. So we see Isaac's love is blind for Esau because it's guided by his belly. Now, since I've been here, I've come to know many South Africans and Brazilians, and I've come to know their love of meat and barbecue. So they can probably empathize with Isaac here. Now, for the vegetarians in the room, just think of a big, juicy squash. It's the best I could think of. <laughs> but no, seriously, if we, if we think about it, we can all relate a little with this, can't we? Has your love ever been blind because it is driven by your appetites, by your flesh? You see, this is all showing that Isaac is not just physically blind, but he's spiritually blind as well. Sometimes what's helpful is to notice what's not in the passage. Did you notice what is absent from this passage? Isaac doesn't inquire of the Lord before giving the blessing. Now, we don't know if he's forgotten the word of God given to Rebekah or if he is intentionally going against it. But what we can see at this point in time is that his trust is not grounded in the word of God. He's acting on impulse He's acting on a blind love for Esau, driven by his appetites and a failure to seek God's will. And he's going to go directly against the word of God to bless Esau. So we see the problem presented in this story. How will God's word come to pass if Isaac gives the blessing to Esau? That's what Moses has set up for us. And this leads us to our next step in the story arc. Observing the rising tension. Notice what happens next in Genesis 27, 5 through 17. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went. And took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. 
And the skins of young goats she put on his hands and on smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. You know what we're seeing here? We're seeing an increase of sin that happens when we lack trust in God's word. Rebecca hears of Isaac's plan to give the blessing to Esau, and she comes up with her own plan to make sure Jacob receives the blessing. Now, I think we're tempted here to excuse Rebecca's sin. And we're tempted to do that because we think, well, she's just securing God's promise, right? But what Moses is presenting to us here is a lack of faith. Could she not have gone and spoken to Isaac about his sin? Why does she not inquire of the Lord like she did when the twins were in her womb? Instead of trusting the Lord and acting in faith, she devises a plan that will tear her family apart for years to come. Church, sin is so deceptive. Have you ever been tempted to sin and thought you were somehow following God to do so? Maybe the temptation is to lie to someone because you think it will protect their feelings. Maybe it is to cut corners at work to get ahead in order to provide more for your family. I think we're tempted so often. And there are so many ways that sin lies to us to keep us from trusting God's word. And Rebecca's example provides a warning of trusting sin's deception. First, notice how sin spreads as she brings Jacob into her plan. I think it's helpful to point out, Jacob's 40 years old probably, or or older than that by now. It's just kind of humorous to a degree. Um, But notice he resists a little, but it's not out of a desire for God's glory. And therefore, he's quickly appeased by his mother. So the plan moves forward. And we see it take place in verses 18 through 25. So he went to his father. And he said, my father. And he said, here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Do you see the picture of how sin increases as people (laughs) fail to trust God's word? Jacob has three chances to fess up and come clean. 
Doesn't it remind you of those moments when you find out that a child has done something wrong and you're just giving them a chance to confess? Johnny, did you take the cookie from the jar? No. Are you sure? Come here, come here. Look, there's a cookie missing. Was it me? What's that on your face? Oh, nothing, nothing. I think we're almost like supposed to expect for Jacob to just come out and say, Sorry, Dad. It's me. Mom sent me in here to trick you. You see, he could have confessed. Three different times he could have confessed. But instead, he continues to spiral in sin because he doesn't trust God. Yet Jacob's not the only one on display. And I would suggest he's not the primary one on display in this section. Notice how far Isaac goes to make sure Esau is the one to receive the blessing. I think the growing tension of this section is meant to be whether Isaac will wake up from the fact that he's going against God's word. But alas, his eyes are dim. He doesn't see clearly. He's appeased by his belly. The food smells good. And he continues with his desire to bless Esau. This brings us to the next stage of the story arc. Highlighting the climax. The climax of a story is the greatest moment of tension. It's the moment when the audience is waiting to see what will happen next. I think we find ours in verses 26 through 32. First, we see the blessing delivered in verses 26 through 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Notice the affectionate way Isaac moves forward to bless Esau. He is still guided in this moment by his blind love for his son. Then we see three elements of the blessing, of fruitful land, of prosperous offspring, and of others being blessed, which all seem to coincide with the Abrahamic blessing. Finally, notice the words of verse 29. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This makes the problem in our story absolutely clear that Isaac's plan was to give the blessing to Esau and that goes directly against the spoken word of God. The climax then hits its peak in verses 30 through 32 where we get on the edge of our seats. Notice what it writes. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food 
and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Do you feel the tension? The immediacy of this brings the climax that we're waiting for. Isaac's blessing was not given to Esau. And the plan's now exposed. What is going to happen next? How will Isaac respond? And the next portion of the story is what begins to shed light on the main points as we focus in on the resolution. Focus first on the details given and the response of Isaac in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. You see, I think there's two things from this verse that begin to give us clarity about the main points of this story. First, we see that Isaac trembled very violently. The Hebrew word is not one of anger, but it means to shudder in fear. It means to be shocked to one's core. It's going to be used again by Moses in Genesis 42.28. When Joseph's brothers find their money in their sacks, as they've left their son or their brother back with Joseph, and listen to what Moses records here. They turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Isaac's not angry. He's afraid. Why is he afraid? I don't think it's of Esau's anger. I think the idea is like when you realize you have done something horribly wrong that could have had devastating consequences. You see, I think he trembles because he realizes how close he came to defying the word of God. And I think this is evidenced by the second thing that this verse points out. Notice what he says at the end. Yes, and he shall be blessed. You see, in this moment, he realizes God ensured the blessing would go to Jacob. In this moment, he remembers the word of the Lord. And I think this becomes clear as we focus on verses 34 through 37. Look at what happens and just picture This portion of the story. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But Isaac said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is it not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, 
and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Do you see the radical change in Isaac in this section? The son he loves is weeping. The one he desired so longingly to bless just a few months ago is crying exceedingly, asking for anything from his father. You can almost paraphrase it like, do you, do you not love me? But what does Isaac do? He confirms the blessing is given to Jacob. What a change. What a change. Matthew Henry comments, either himself recollecting, recollecting the divine oracle, or rather having found himself more than ordinarily filled with the Holy Ghost when he gave the blessing to Jacob, he perceived that God did, as it were, say amen to it. He had a mind to give Esau the blessing, but when he perceived the will of God was otherwise, he submitted, and this he did by faith. You see, this is where we see the faith of Isaac mentioned in Hebrews eleven twenty. Faith that now trusts fully in the promised word of God. Even when Esau asks for any kind of blessing from Isaac, and Isaac gives him one, his blessing, notice, is rooted in the word of God delivered to Rebekah. Then Isaac, his father, answered him, verse 39, and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau will not inherit the blessing. He will be stronger, but the older will serve the younger. You see, God's word is sure. And Isaac turns to trust in the promise of God. Now there's one more stage in the plot for us to look at. Examining the following action. What takes place after our resolution? Notice what is relayed for us in verses 41 through 46. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, 
Flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be reft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? See, I think the following action shows us the devastation of sin. Had Isaac sought the Lord in the first place and trusted in his word, he would not have sent Esau out to prepare a meal so that he could bless him. Had Rebekah trusted the word of the Lord and approached Isaac with God's promises, she would not have sent Jacob in to steal the blessing. Esau may not have desired to kill Jacob and Rebekah may not have needed to send him away to Laban. Sin's consequences, sin's devastation has wreaked havoc. Rebecca will never see her son that she loves again in her lifetime. Had Jacob been honest with Isaac and trusted the word of the Lord, he may not have needed to flee to Laban. And we're going to see how that goes for him. We're going to see that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. But instead of those things happening, we're left to look at the unrepentant heart of Esau, leading him into further sin and sin's devastation on this entire family. So what is this story showing us? What does Moses want us to see by relaying this? My hope is that you've already seen it. I see three takeaways from this chapter. First, the word of the Lord will be accomplished, even in spite of man's sins. As we have seen through our study of Isaac's life, God's promise to send the serpent crusher through the line of Abraham will not be stopped. He gave the promise to Abraham. He repeated the promise to Isaac. He promised it to Rebekah. And in Genesis 28, 1 through 5, read it on your own. Isaac repeats the promise to Jacob. You see, God's word is unshakable. This should strengthen our faith. Because we stand on this side of the serpent crusher coming. And we look back and say, Amen. The Lord accomplished everything he said he would do. Because the serpent crusher, Jesus Christ, came. The serpent crusher, Jesus Christ, went to the cross. He died for his people's sins. And he rose victoriously over sin and death. And church, he will come back again to make all things new. God's word 
can be trusted. Do you see that? Because he will accomplish all of his purposes and he will fulfill all of his promises. Trust in the word of God. That's our first takeaway. Second, this story shows the undeserved grace of God. It was God's grace that opened Isaac's eyes to his sin and led him to confirm the blessing to Jacob. And look at Jacob. All we see in his life is deception and sin and failure, cowardice. He does not look good in this chapter. Yet what do we see? The Lord blesses him. Not because of anything he does, but in spite of what he does. You see, his sin is great, but God's grace is greater. What amazing grace to those who don't deserve it. You see, we'll see the Lord discipline Jacob for his sin because the Lord does discipline the one he loves. But for now, in this moment, all we're left to do is marvel at the amazing grace of God. And does this not highlight the grace we have received in Jesus Christ? There is nothing that I have done to deserve his grace. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He set his love upon us. He lavished us with undeserved grace. Do you see yourself in Jacob? If you don't, meet his grace for the first time this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ's work on the cross. That's our second takeaway. Finally, if you remember the question from the beginning, what are we supposed to take away from Isaac's faith? It didn't look pretty to begin with. That's for sure. He was going directly against the word of God. But what we see in this chapter, I think, is how Isaac's faith responds when sin is exposed. You see, faith repents of its lack of trust in God's word, and faith turns to trust it going forward. You can't help but see the contrast of Isaac's response to recognizing the deception and Esau's. Isaac has faith, so he turns and he trusts God's word. Esau weeps, but he continues in sin. Listen to the words of Isaiah 66.2. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Maybe you're here this morning and you know times this past week that you have not trusted in the word of God. Maybe there's been moments when you've gone directly against it. Tremble at the word of God. 
look at the faithfulness of his promises and turn to trust him or his grace to carry you forward. Isaac's faith shows us how we should respond to our sin. We turn and we trust in the word of God. Hebrews 11.20 calls this faith. You see, faith trusts in the promises of God. The promise to keep us. The promise to redeem us. The promise to bring his son back to make us new. The promise to give us power to overcome sin. Those are ours in Jesus Christ. And faith trusts them. And can I just say, doesn't this mean that we need to study the word of God? How will we know the sure and steady promises of God if we don't study it? If we don't look to it? We can only imagine what would have happened in this story if Isaac had just gone to the Lord and said, who should I give the blessing to? We can only imagine. Instead, we see sins, devastation, wreaking havoc on lives. We do see God's grace, though. So study the word. Trust the word. Trust the word over your appetites. Trust the word over your feelings. Trust the word over your love. Trust this. His word is sure. His promises are sure. Not what I think. Not what I feel. His word is sure. Let me end with the words of Proverbs 3, 1 through 8. Let this passage speak to you. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Trust in the Lord, church. Trust in his unshakable word. Please stand with me as I pray this word over us. Father, you are magnificent. You are good. You are just. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. And we so many times are not any of those things. God, I ask that you would give us grace, the grace that we need just as Isaac and Jacob needed it. Open our eyes to sin in our lives that we need to confess and repent of. 
Give us grace to walk forward in trusting in your sure and unshakable word. God, guide us with your spirit. Help us to cling to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.